I understand that while I was gone that Dustin did a wonderful job in preaching while I was away. Uh, it's great to have, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it is great to have young men uh, who are growing to love the Lord and who have the ability to talk about Jesus and to share from his word in wonderful ways. And I'm glad that Dustin can do that. We have the privilege this morning of having someone else here who can do that as well, another young man, many of whom, uh, many of you know, uh, Chad Harrington. Chad said to me on the phone as we discussed him coming and preaching for us this morning that he really feels like he's coming and preaching to his home church or the place where he grew up. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. There's, there needs to be a sense about history and about family and tradition and growing up in churches and people having this sense of, I have roots here. And so for Chad to feel like he has roots here is a wonderful thing. And we're so grateful that he does. And it's great to have all the Harringtons here. I learned just this morning, by the way, Chad mentioned this in the first service. I didn't know it up until then, that Bill and Elsie are celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary this week. And so we are so grateful for that as well. Congratulations to the two of you. It's, you know, there's all kinds of funny things that can be said about marriage and toleration of one another and those kind of things. I'm going to leave that entirely alone, although much could be said. But in your case, I just want to say that it's a great blessing to have two people who love each other and who've been married for such a wonderful long time and who've done so in the Lord in the way that you have. It is a blessing to the rest of us. It's an example to the rest of us. Thank you very much for being the people that you are. We commend you in the Lord for sure. So we're, we're grateful that uh, Chad can be here this morning as the grandson of this wonderful couple who's going to come and share with us this morning and talk about something we've been focusing on, the Holy Spirit, and also do so in the context of discipleship, which we also do a lot of talking about here. So Chad, come on up. I'd love to pray for you before you speak to us. And God is going to bless us this morning with the words that Chad has to say. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that Chad can be here this morning with us. I'm grateful that he's the man that he is. Father, we don't want to just think of him as a young man who's talking about you this morning, but as a man of God who loves you and who is talking this morning about you because he's devoted his life to you. And it's so evident in the way that he speaks and the things that are on his heart, that he cares for you, he's devoted his life to you, and pray, God, that you'd bless him this morning as he shares some of this with us. Thank you for this privilege and blessing of having Chad here. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you. It is an honor to be here with you guys this morning in multiple ways. Um, it's also humbling to come back to the church that I grew up in, that I ran around the building in, that I you know, made a fool of myself in, and to come back and to actually stand up here to pretend like I have something to say. Um, but it is, it's a joy. And just looking out at, at the faces that I recognize, some of the names that I remember, and then some of the kids that I grew up with, and now they're adults. I hope you guys realize the legacy that you are leaving. And so it's fun to be a part of that legacy and, uh, and to come and, and testify to what the Lord has done. Because I think we all know too well that it's only by his grace that um, people like me, people like you can, can stand here today. On January 15th, 2010... Flight 1547 took off from LaGuardia on its way to Charlotte. And about two minutes into their flight, a miracle happened. Or so, that's what it is called. They ran into a flock of geese as they flew over New York City. And they had a decision to make, these two pilots. 
Um, they were no longer able to complete their flight, but they had a plane full of people that they had to find safety for. And the airports nearby were too small, there were no open fields, and the really, really the only option they had was to land the plane in the Hudson River. And so what happened is normally called a miracle, but when you look at the details of, of what really happened, they had about two or three minutes to make very important, quick decisions. And if they messed any of them up, it could have cost everyone their life. But at the end of it, everyone was saved. So what happened is they disarmed the autopilot. Um, they took away the power um, for the, the plane to take over. And they sealed the ditch system so that the vents were closed and it could become like a boat. And one of the tricky parts is they had to take a hard left turn so that they could go south and flow with the river. And then they had to, they had to get the plane to go up turn the engines off, go slightly back down, and then right before they hit, come right back up. And normally people would look at that and see the fact that they landed a plane in the Hudson River and call that a miracle. And it, I think in some ways it was. But in other ways, these pilots were highly trained, highly skilled individuals who did what it took when they didn't feel like it. So when the moment came for them to snap into decision-making time, that they made the right decisions without thinking about it. Split-second decisions that saved hundreds of people's lives. The topic this morning is spirit-led discipleship. And I think that plane ride has something deep for us all to embrace as we follow after Jesus. And it's this concept. That it takes both spontaneity and structure in our lives to really follow Jesus. Because we could look at that plane ride and say, man, they were lucky. And in some ways, I think the Lord did bless them. But I also think that God used the skills and the training that they had. Now, this is something that we all wrestle with in regular life. And we're all kind of aware of it in regular life. And if we don't embrace this for who we are in Christ, I think we will be a little bit deficient. We will be less than what God has called us to. Now, growing up in this church, um, I've experienced uh, I've experienced a lot of different. I've experienced the crazy stuff. I've experienced the consistent stuff. Now, walking into the building this morning, um, uh, Brenda reminded me that I broke my arm playing off this tree right out here in the front of the building. Now, um, that was you know the child, childish, playful thing, right? But it w- I injured myself more in the church being a pastor's son than anywhere else. I remember in this gym here too. Um, I did something spontaneous. I decided that I was going to jump over what used to be the wooden container that had all the, had all the, the balls and, and the gym equipment. So I, I got a good start at running at this thing, and, and I ran at it. It was about eye level, and I was going to jump over it. So um, just never jumped, and so I ran right into it. Um, so, you know, we all do kind of spontaneous things, but I also have great memories of this church um, in terms of structure, too. Just the fact that I can recognize so many people here shows your faithfulness to the Lord. You know, I remember coming here every Sunday, being the last to leave, and uh, just sweet, sweet memories. You know, I, um, I also remember, uh, Melissa reminded me that she helped coordinate the Passover. I think it was in the early 90s. It was like a drama, and we all celebrated the Passover and dressed up and stuff like that. She also reminded me that she taught me Sunday school, which I was excited to hear because I remember turning my chair over as much as possible in the middle of the lesson just to mess around. But great memories from the Calgary Church of Christ. Now, what does that have to do with discipleship? I don't really know, but they're fun memories. 
The reason I came back up here with my family was to celebrate um, the topic that we're addressing today. And it's the fact that my grandparents have been married for 60 years, and yet they're so fully alive. Now, if I'm to sum up what I want to say in one sentence, it's this. We must embrace both the structure and the spontaneity of the Spirit if we're going to follow Jesus. Now, what does that have to do with marriage? Everything. Now, you may know... uh, you may know my grandparents in some ways better than I do, but from the stories that they've told me, they embody this truth in their marriage in a way that I think will be helpful for us today. Now, my grandfather, uh, Bill Harrington, is a, he's a hardworking man. Um, you retired, right? But you're, you're still working because he loves it so much. Well, he told me that back in the day, he was known for, and he, he enjoyed the fact that he was willing to do whatever it took last minute if he needed to to get a load you know, from point A to point B. And and then he also told me, so that's kind of a spontaneous thing. Whatever it took, he'd get it done. Well, on the other hand, he made a deal um, with the Canadian mail to take a load from Calgary to Vancouver and Vancouver to Calgary every day. And over the period of five years, starting in 1985, the deal was worth $2.5 million, and he made the deal over a handshake. So in his career you can see this concept of both spontaneity, doing whatever it takes, even if you're not ready for it, but then the day in and the day out work that it takes to make things go. And that applies to our life in the spirit. Now, my grandmother, she has a very creative side to her. Um, Elsie Harrington wrote the bulletin articles for at least six years, every week. You know, there's, there's hundreds of them now. That takes, that takes a lot of devotion. But what's cool about that is that she did it week in and week out, but each one was creative and unique. In following Jesus, we have to apply that same exact principle that we all recognize is important in order to follow Jesus. Now, I say that we all recognize it because it's true in general. The way our bodies are even made, we have a bone structure, but then our blood flows through our veins. Structure, spontaneity. Fixity and fluidity. Routine and random. It's also true in your finances, hopefully. <laughs> it's not all just, uh, what, do we, what do I need today? I'm going to go buy it. You, you know, we have our bills that we pay each month. But then we want to go on a spontaneous date with our wife. Structure and spontaneity. So my question to you is, which one do you lean towards, and how is that affecting your relationship with God? I think it's really easy as Christians, just as people, to say, well, that's just not my personality. I'm not very structured. So, you know, it's fine. It's fine that I don't, uh, you know, I'm not very disciplined in my walk with the Lord. You know, and, and so we'll, we'll claim spontaneity is great because, you know, it's really exciting and adventurous and really good things happen when we kind of fly by the cuff, right? But then we complain because our life feels chaotic. There's a lot of drama and things are just out of control. And so there's part of us that while we really enjoy our own spontaneity and that kind of bent, we really do long for kind of the other side of that coin of life, which is structure, routine, the day-in, day-out kind of planning that a lot of people thrive on. And these are the, maybe the accountant types, the people who plan their meals out for the whole week at the beginning of the week and then shop accordingly. They've got all their ducks in a row. 
and they're ready to go. And then when something comes up, though, it kind of throws them off. You know, don't don't rattle the boat. You know, I've got my plan. You know, we can't do anything I don't expect. But then it kind of feels a little bit boring sometimes because it's routine. So I I think, I think that just as I read scripture, there's both as we follow the Spirit. And so allow yourself, if you're like, man, Chet, I... I really actually don't even like that we're talking about this because it makes me uncomfortable. I would just want to be me. The Holy Spirit is a person who wants to change your personality. Now, what I mean is he wants to enliven it. And I think you may be potentially deceived into thinking that you're not fully human. And so uh, what I mean is you've embraced one without the other. And you're frustrated in your walk with the Lord. You're frustrated in your life in general and maybe even your relationships. So I'm going to throw this thesis out, if you will. And I want you to test it and weigh it in your own heart, and then we'll go to Scripture and see what the Lord does with it. And here it is again. We must embrace both the structure and the spontaneity of the Spirit in order to follow Christ. We must. So, let's go. Let's go into Scripture and uh, see, see if I'm a lunatic or not. Now, I want to go to the book of Acts because, like I said, the Holy Spirit's a person. And if you ever want to find out what a person's like, you look at what they say and what they do. And so the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. It's actually the Acts, the actions of the Holy Spirit through the church. So we're going to look at at that a little bit. But let me test this earlier than that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Scripture says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit hovered over the waters. And then as the narrative continues, we see that God spontaneously caused the earth to be formed and it to be watered. And for plants to grow up and animals to populate the land and fish the sea and birds the sky. And it, 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 it looks like it's just all spontaneous and crazy and awesome. God is creative. But in the creation account, we might miss the fact that God is also structured. And he said, on day one, it will be this. Not on day two. But on day two, it'll be this. Three and four and five and six. And even rest was built into the rhythm of creation. So while we can see the spontaneity, don't miss the structure in the creation account. And what's what's awesome is the same creator spirit the Holy Spirit, is recreating the world through God's people because of the gospel of Jesus. And we're a part of that. And so if we're people who are you know, living with the Spirit, if we're not going to jive with the way the Spirit works, then we're going to be rubbing against the Lord all the time. And so that may be what's going on with you. Now, let's go to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see in chapter 2, that God does something kind of crazy. Now, the apostles had been waiting for 10 days, praying in the upper room, for God to come through his spirit and power. And then, boom, it happened. Suddenly, tongues like fire came down, came upon the people, and they spontaneously started speaking in languages they had never learned before. And the gospel was preached. People were added to their number that day, and eventually thousands of people became Christians because they were hearing the gospel from Jews who hadn't learned their languages from all around the Roman Empire. 
That would kind of blow me away too. If I went to Africa and started speaking in Swahili, I think it would probably blow everyone away. The same thing happened in Acts chapter 2. But at the end of the chapter, we see something different. You know, I'd like to be there like the day after Pentecost. It's like, um, what can happen now? I mean, that was so great. Like, Well, what they did is they just kept meeting day in and day out. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the word, to prayer, and to the breaking of bread. Day after day after day, they kept meeting together. They were both spontaneously filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit enjoyed the fact that they kept doing it over and over again, day in and day out. Someone said that maybe the Lord causes the sun to rise every day, not because it has to, but because he enjoys how beautiful it is and he never gets sick of the sun rising. Built into the very fabric of the the physical world is this principle. I just want to apply it to the spiritual world. And and really, I think the way that this is, is going to be most helpful is to look at one person in the book of Acts. So I've kind of thrown out a general principle. And you may still think I'm... Uh, I'm a lunatic. You may be a little ticked off that I said God wants to change your personality. What I mean is he wants to change your person, which will affect everything you think and do. Dallas Willard said, you know, in terms of uh, the way we view the world, it's actually very important that we create and understand a good worldview because from the way we see things and understand them, it will affect everything we think and do. So in terms of practicality, it's very practical to be talking about something that seems like an idea. And so let me tell you a practical story from the book of Acts that I think is a lot of fun. But if we dig down into it, we'll find out just what was true about flight 1549 that was displayed in the life of Philip. So this is in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And... What happens is that an angel of the Lord appears to this guy, Philip, and says, I want you to go down south from Jerusalem on the road to Gaza. Now, I don't remember ever having been on this road, although I've been to Israel, but it says it was a wilderness road. In other words, the Spirit called him to do something a little kind of crazy um, through an angel. And so what does he do? He responds. So he's traveling along this road, right? God didn't tell him why, mind you. He said, just go down this road. Okay. All right. Uh, Sounds good. You know, you did that whole Pentecost thing. I I think I could trust you on a walk down the road. So walking down the road, and there's another man, not walking, but riding in a chariot. And this man is an Ethiopian eunuch who is the, the treasurer for the entire people of Ethiopia, for the queen, in fact. And so he's in charge of all the money. Now, if there's anyone who has his ducks in a row, who's got things down... And in a system, it's an accountant. And this guy was the chief treasurer for an entire people group. So I think the Spirit was challenging him a little bit too. So he's reading from the book of Isaiah as he's in his chariot, right? I imagine him kind of high up. So Philip's running along and he sees this guy and he's like... But before that... Sorry, I missed one important part. Hold on. Whoa. The whole sermon. The Spirit told him on the road... So he's walking down the road, and then the Spirit said, go talk to this guy. So, piece by piece, he's following the Lord spontaneously. So he walks up to this guy. I imagine him running. I don't think he would walk slowly next to a chariot. And he's like, hey, 
<laughs> What's going on? And he heard him reading from the book of Isaiah. Now, that means that this guy was already listening to the Spirit. In other words, when we start our journey of discipleship, not just being discipled, but giving discipleship, we have to recognize that the Lord has already been working in people's lives. And that's what's beautiful about this story. And so he says, what are you reading? And, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, I'm reading from Isaiah. And so, you know, I, I imagine Philip's just playing all this by ear. And he's like, okay, do you, do you know what, do you understand it? I mean, <laughs> I think I'm here for a reason. And he, you know, the guy says, how could I understand if no one could teach me? If you haven't found yourself in a teaching position, maybe it's because you haven't been listening to the Holy Spirit. Basically, this guy puts it out on the table and says, teach me the word of God. And so Philip started from that point in scripture. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shears. So he does not open his mouth. He went on from there and he shared the gospel. What is it that causes stuff like that to happen? Because it seems kind of random. It seems really spontaneous, intuitive, and out of control. And quite frankly, at least half of us don't like that. So how do we follow Jesus if we're following someone like that? I just want to assure you, if that's not your personality type, look deeper into the life of Philip. You might be surprised. If we follow Philip back to Acts chapter 6, he is serving tables. They ran out of time to preach the word and to pray. The apostles did. And so they appointed seven men who had already proven themselves to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so if you're waiting for a time to uh, do, you know, be a part of discipleship, be faithful with where God's got you, because you might be at the point where there's widows who need food and you just need to bring them the food. And Philip did that. And then the persecution broke out in Acts chapter 8 at the beginning. And so what happened? The people were scattered, and Philip found himself in an uncomfortable position. He went to Samaria. Of all the places a Jew wouldn't want to go, that would be one of them. And then God's like, okay, now i got something kind of crazy for you. Let's go to Africa. That's where Ethiopia is, in northern Africa. And I'm, I'm pretty convinced that if Philip hadn't have followed the Spirit in this occasion the church in Africa would have been delayed a little bit. Now, the, the Holy Spirit does what he wants, when he wants, with or without your permission, and we can't really stop him. But at the same time, he wants you on board. And so I love the fact that we've got African brothers and sisters this morning um, uh, in the midst of us because the Holy Spirit loves racial reconciliation. But it's really uncomfortable for us, isn't it? And it doesn't have to be race. It could just be uh, like Michael was talking about people who are just get on our nerves. But the Holy Spirit brings people together. Now, I've kind of thrown out a lot there. I want to bring it down to the ground level a little bit more and tell you a story about how this applies to my life. I'm, in, I'm halfway through seminary right now, and at the beginning of this last semester, there was a sermon that um, Robert Stamps, our uh, dean of chapel, preached. And he said he wished he, he would have heard it when he was in seminary. And it was from Matthew chapter 9. And his whole point was that just like Jesus hung out with Matthew the tax collector, while you're in seminary, 
you need to spend time at Matthew's house. Whoever that might be, you know, find your Matthew and intentionally spend time with him. So I started praying and asking the Lord, Lord, who is my Matthew? And then I started looking, you know, because like Philip, God was already working in the, in, in the Ethiopian's life. I wanted to say, God, who would you have me invest into? Who would you have me be in a relationship with? So I was praying about it. And about a week later, I was walking to school about a quarter mile walk. And I saw my neighbor, who, whom I had not met yet. This big dude, probably 6'4", uh, ostensibly a lot different than me. He had tattoos, earrings, like this hard, hard guy kind of thing, right? I, that's just not me. But I felt the spirit prompting me, so I, I randomly walked up to him and introduced myself. Now, it's easier for me because I'm kind of an extrovert, but I still didn't want to do it. Walked up to him and I shook his hand. I said, hey, I'm Chad. He said, I'm Matt. Good to meet you. And what's awesome is the fact that we became friends and a week later he was in my living room eating with me. And then a month later I was in his kitchen eating with him, spending time literally at Matthew's house. Not because I'm super witty, not because I'm extroverted, but because the Spirit was working that in my life and in his life. Now what's kind of cool is the fact that um, after he came to my house, he invited me to his wedding. (laughs) That was kind of bold of him, but he said no one had approached him like that in two years. And so he was immediately open to me as a person because I was bold. So I went to his wedding the next week. And, uh, and he got baptized that next day. It had nothing to do with me. The Lord was already working in his life. And now I get the opportunity to follow up because discipleship is not just once and done. We don't dunk them and punk them in the baptistry. We're in day in, day out, living life with people because that is how the Spirit works, both spontaneously and structured. Now, I hope this is tweaking with you because it tweaks with me. And I, I'm not totally sure if I'm right or not, but I think I've caught on to something that is true about the person of God. And I want us to all embrace it. Because we kind of want to be that person who does crazy stuff for the Lord, right? That's our heart. But then we get frustrated with ourselves when it doesn't work. We're like, man, I just don't remember what that scripture is. I think I'm supposed to say something to that person. Or I need to encourage my brother or my sister. But we're not prepared. We don't have the tools We haven't gone through the training so that when the plane is crashing, we can save it. So what I'm saying really is we idealize the spontaneous when we really need to settle into the structure. Because out of the framework, we can have fun. And so, you know, let's apply this to the the wild world of sports. Jerome McGinley, you know, served Calgary for a long, long time, right? And unfortunately, he left last year. But we, we idealize people, and, and you know, a lot of the kids would love to be like Jerome McGinley one day. You know, scoring goals, making assists, just being awesome, pretty much, right? <laughs> For me, when I was a kid, it was Theo Fleury, and, and Mike Vernon was the goalie of the Flames back then. You know, we want to be like them, but we don't want to do what it takes to become like them. And so we look at Jesus, and we're like, well, he was God. I can't, you know... I can't be anything like him. Well, then what are you doing? What are you called to? Discipleship is learning like a student learns to become like their master. And so the point is, is don't believe the lie that you can't actually become like Jesus. 
Because in the life of Christ, we find this principle too. It says in Luke, 4, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, that it was his custom to go to the synagogue. And, and I don't know why. Maybe, maybe the Lord likes the book of Isaiah a lot more than the other prophets, but Jesus quoted in his first sermon, Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the mantle of praise instead of mourning, and the oil of gladness instead of a faint spirit. How did Jesus handle the temptation? Because I don't think he was like, all right, now I'm going into the desert. I got to get me a, a big old Bible scroll, you know, and he, he loaded up Deuteronomy in his, in his satchel. No. We, we're very privileged by Gutenberg in some ways, but we're also hindered by it because we haven't stored the word in our heart. And I think the fact that Jesus could withstand the temptation wasn't because he was super smart, although he was the most brilliant person to have ever lived. I don't think it was because he was just really, really spiritually strong in that moment, although he was very spiritually strong in that moment. I think it was because he was saturated to the bone with the word of God, so that when he was tempted by Satan, he could say, no, 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 I don't operate the same way the world does. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not just the book of God. He knew what it was like to hear the Lord. And then he could, he could quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Don't put the Lord to the test. I'm not going to be fooled by you. And then he was randomly able to quote Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, just three verses earlier, when he said, I'm not going to bow down to you. That's not how we do it. I'm going to follow the Lord's structure of authority because I'm supposed to worship and serve the Lord only. I know that because I know the word of God. I think that Christians are deeply hindered, myself included, because we've failed to structure our lives around the spontaneity of the spirit. We want to be like Jerome McGinley. We want to be like Jesus, but we don't want to do what it takes because we're kind of lazy. I don't know about you, but I am. But when I do put in the hard work, oh, the beauty of being able to follow the Spirit in ways that would not be possible if I hadn't have lived day in and day out. So, where are you at in all of this? What's the Lord saying to you as I speak? Because this is not my brilliant conception. This is this is the way that God has built life to work. And so if anything I say is helpful, it's because it's a true principle from the Lord. And so my question to you is, what's the Lord saying to you? Maybe it's a reoccurring thought that you've kind of had from the beginning. Listen to that. The Holy Spirit is alive and he wants us to become like him. Because He, this isn't about us. It's not just about the Calgary Church of Christ. It's about the redemption of the world. And the same creator spirit is recreating the world through you. He's not just giving us a ticket so that we can grab a coffee and wait until Jesus comes back. 
It's awesome that the fact that new creation has already started in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now living inside of us. And yet we settle for so much less. I think, I just have, I, I can't prove this, but I think the Holy Spirit is constantly talking to us. Like a loving mother in some ways. Encouraging, nurturing, helping us to grow up question is, are we listening in such a way that it changes the way we actually live? I think it can be really discouraging to look at, at, at our past and with, filled with regrets and disappointments, even shaming ourselves for where we've fallen short. Man, Chad, that's a good lesson, but, you know, I'm retired now. My career is done. Like, where's my influence The Holy Spirit wants to be close to us, and in an instant, we can listen. And we can start restructuring our lives around Him. So, do not be discouraged. Be encouraged by how hope-filled the Lord is. And what's awesome is the fact that we don't have to settle for either or. We don't have to be a chaotic person who's always flying by the cuff, even in our relationship with the Lord, where we... You know, when we're not up here, we're way down here, and we're afraid for the next one. We don't have to live like that. We can enjoy the, the beauty of the spontaneous while structuring our lives around the rhythms of the Lord. And so what does this look like in practical terms, now that we've spent all of our time creating a paradigm? It looks like prayer. Cutting out time in your day for that. It looks like scripture memorization. It looks like finding time every week at least, for silence and solitude, and sometimes extended periods of this, so that we can reorient ourselves around the voice of the Lord. It looks like being consistent in community, not just attendance, but true fellowship. It looks like regularly fasting. There's even the spiritual discipline of secrecy, doing things that for the Lord that no one will ever find out about, and service and confession. These are some of the things that we can build our life around. So my question to you is, because I, I really just cannot, I can't contextualize this for where you're at. And if I'm preaching a sermon on the Holy Spirit, I really want us to listen more to Him than to me. So I've thrown out a lot of stuff. Let's bring it back to two questions. Number one is, what rhythm, what structure is the Spirit calling you to today? What is, what Chaos is in existence right now that can be remedied by what the Spirit wants to do in your life. If you hear His voice today, do not harden your hearts. The second question is, what action of spontaneity will the Lord call you to today? Already, the Lord has done that in my life today. And I didn't really want to do it. I was a little bit afraid. But I did it. What is He calling you to today and if you need if, if, if you're like man that's a lot of stuff Chad I, I can really only handle one or the other well just pick one pick the opposite of what your personality normally is and ask the Lord how can you stretch me today because I really want to be like Jesus I want to be so structured that when I am in temptation the words come out of my mouth I want to be the kind of person like Jesus who when he was literally cut he bled scripture and on the cross he quoted Psalm 22 Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
which was not a scripture of despair. Jesus knew how that psalm ended, which was one of hope and resurrection, not of abandonment and death. We need to be the kind of people, we have to be the kind of people who embrace both the structure and the spontaneity of the Spirit if we really want to follow Jesus because the Lord loves it. And he wants to share that kind of life with you and with me. And this life is exciting. And we can become, in the end, people who are like the person described in Psalm 1, which says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree, a solid, sturdy tree by streams of water that yields fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither. I don't know about you, but I want to be like that oak of righteousness. Planted by the stream of living water, as we follow the Spirit to change this world for the gospel of Jesus. I don't know what gets you up in the morning, but that gets my blood pumping more than caffeine does. And uh, I look forward to continuing our journey together until the day we die, and then living it anew in even more fresh ways in the next life. Um, Let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to um, work this into our personal lives. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you invite us into your life. God, I pray blessings over the Calgary Church. God, may you encourage them, um, even in the middle of winter, Lord, that you are so full of life. God, I pray that you would convict us and encourage us to follow your spirit. Give us the discipline we need, Lord, to respond day in and day out to what you're calling us to do. God, I pray that we would be bold enough and trusting you enough, Lord, that we would be able to do the random things you ask us to do. Like walk from Jerusalem to Gaza and talk to someone about the book of Isaiah. Lord, I thank you um, for this family. Lord, I, I just pray blessings on them as they come to a new year, Lord. May we all orient our lives around your Holy Spirit as we follow after Jesus. pray this in his name. Amen.